This is the faith and family class. I know somebody, there was a little confusion about that. Um, and I'm Jane Menendez, and my husband Don and I will be leading this class for the next three weeks. And our topic this morning is your child's biggest problem. Um, and before we get started, let's open with prayer. And Don, if you could open us. Graciously, gracious and heavenly Father, we come to you after a morning of, of worship that we thank you for. And we come this morning, Lord God, with uh, expectant hearts and expectant minds. And we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit that's within us all, give us the ability to hear and to heed what you would teach us through your holy word this morning. And then, Lord God, we ask for that same powerful spirit that you would create in us a heart that desires to be available and obedient to your call in our families and with our children and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to start with something that you um, may or may not remember. This was two years ago, and um, there was a stir in the media, and it concerned Brian Williams, who was the NBC news anchor. And... Um, Depending on your perspective, he either lied or exaggerated about some incidents that he covered in the Iraqi war. And the clip I want to show you is, um, 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 I'm losing my, oh, David Brooks, that was the name I couldn't come up with. David Brooks, who is um, a columnist for the New York Times, is on the PBS NewsHour. And he is being asked about this situation with Brian Williams. And I feel like his response and his kind of diagnosis of the problem is really insightful. And I think it's really germane to our conversation this morning. So that's where I want to start with is David Brooks being interviewed about this situation that has happened with Brian Williams. And if all goes well, you'll be able to see it and hear it. <laughs> I think we don't need to go further. Um, well, I, I really thought what David Brooks had to say about why Brian Williams did what he did was really spot on. It refers not just to Brian Williams. It refers to all of us. Um, it's a universal issue, and I think it's on steroids with our 
children, particularly young teenagers. Um, fame, this is kind of quoting what David Brooks said, fame is empty and it leaves you hungry and you want to brag a little more on the hope that you will get what you want, which is some kind of adulation that will satisfy you. And this hunger that David Brooks is tapping into has its roots in the Bible. And most of you should have a handout that's got some passages from Genesis 2 and 3. Does everybody have one or at least can share with somebody? Because I want to just really kind of walk through that this morning. Um, because it's, it is, it applies to us and it applies to our children. Starting in Genesis 2, um, verses 15 and 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, and pay attention to this command, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then chapter 2 ends with this verse, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And I want to stop there for just a moment. You know, think about that. Imagine being naked and unashamed, having nothing to cover up, nothing to hide, no need to make ourselves look better inside or out. I mean, that is real freedom. That is real ease and peace. And then in chapter 3, things change dramatically. And I'm going to start reading in the first verse. And pay attention to how the serpent misrepresents God. And then pay attention to how Eve's paraphrases God's command. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And boy, isn't that the heart of temptation is that we will be like God. We will be in control. We can set our own rules, be the authority, do what we want. And then continuing on, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband and he ate. And here you have obedience giving way to rebellion. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And I want to stop there and just kind of think of the contrast. Before they were naked and not ashamed, and now they are naked and ashamed. And there's a feeling that's come in of inadequacy and insecurity. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked, and they had a desire to cover themselves. And if you've ever seen fig leaves, those are probably the best leaves to choose to cover yourself because they're really large. Um, they have a need to dress themselves up, to shield or disguise themselves, a need to control what other people see, a need to kind of create an illusion to make ourselves look better than we are. And we are all naked and ashamed after the fall. And we seek to inflate the view others have of us to kind of project this glittering image. And we put on all sorts of things, fig leaves, if you will, to mask our insecurities, um, to mask our inadequacies. Back to the words of David Brooks, we have a need to make ourselves seem a little cooler. We are hungry and we want to brag just a little more on the hope that we'll get some kind of significance that will satisfy our hungry hearts. And if you didn't know Brian, I mean, if you didn't know David Brooks was talking about Brian Williams, you might think he was thinking he was talking about teenagers. Um, cause stop and think about this. As our children leave childhood, everything is changing for them. Um, their schools change. Their friend group can change. Their body begins to change. Um, the way they see themselves begins to change. And it can be a real period of insecurity where they have a deep hunger for affirmation and significance. And they can go from fig leaf to fig leaf. Um, I need the right clothes. I need the right body. I need the right, I need to make the right teams. I need to belong to the right groups. I need the right resume with the right service projects, with the right courses and the right grades to get in the right colleges, to get the right um, job so I can have the right children. I mean, it, you know, you just see them carrying this weight of all the things that they need to have to make themselves significant, feel significant. Um, I need to go to the right parties. I need to have the right number of likes on Facebook or Instagram. I need to have the right group of friends, and then I will feel significant. Um, I think this is a real issue with our children. And as parents, we really need to appreciate um, the depth of the unease and the insecurity our children can feel. Um, and as Christians, we know this. And we know that nothing on earth that we chase after or our children chase after can really quiet the sense of unease in our souls. Nothing that will really quite satisfy the hunger um, in our hearts. You know, Rockefeller, who had all the money in the world, was asked, how much is enough? And you know what his answer was? 
one dollar more. And you always need, there's nothing that where we're going to say, we're there. Um, and this is one of the things we really come to understand in reading this passage from Genesis. Even if we make it to the tippy top, like Brian Williams did, however you define it, it's not enough. It's like cotton candy. It's sweet for a moment and then it's gone and you're hungry for more. And as Christians, we know that our desire for significance, our desire for acceptance, for ease and rest can only be found in God. And St. Augustine said, you know, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Um, God is the only one who can fill the hunger in our souls. Um, okay, any questions on that before we read on? All right, D.Y., can I get you to All right. start back from then the eyes of both were opening. And as he reads this, either underline or just kind of keep a list in your head going of all the after effects of sin, all the after effects of their rebellion. Here. Uh, we just want to start with verse. Where's my stuff? I don't have a verse on mine. The eyes of both were open. Yeah, the eyes of both were open. Okay, okay, okay. So start at verse 8. Yeah. Go and read through um, the man called his wife's name Eve. Okay. okay. So this is uh, Genesis 3, verse 8. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman the Lord said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And go one more verse. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. All right. What were some of the after effects of um, their disobedience? What are some of the things that, that happened to humankind, mankind? 
Pardon me? Yeah, they became afraid. I was afraid. I heard the sound of you and I was afraid. So fear came in. Pain. Pain. Enmity. Enmity. Just knowledge. I mean, they, they didn't even know that being naked was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I love that. Their, their eyes were open. And it's almost like they had an awareness of self. And you think of selfishness. Selfish ambition, self-centeredness, all the things that came in with this feeling, this awareness of self. I think that's a great one. Yeah. What else? Blaming others. Blaming others. Don't you love that? I mean, Adam, who does Adam blame? He blamed, it was the woman you gave me. Not only is it her fault, it's your fault, God. I mean, yes. And Adam, you know, and Eve goes, well, it was the serpent. I mean, that need to not be wrong. Again, that's kind of a fig leaf. I don't want to be, I don't want you to know that I don't know everything, that I don't have everything together, that um, I don't do anything wrong. Um, you know, that need to blame somebody else, I think, is just part of who we are. What else? Death. Death. Yeah, absolutely. Death came in. I think it's interesting that, that even though they cloak themselves with thick leaves, they still hide. Yes. Krista, that's a great point. Of, and maybe their poor attempt to cloak Yeah. I think it's their shame. Yeah, the shame came in, and even though they've got these fig leaves on, they are still hiding from God, and they're alienated from God. And none of it works. Yes, that's absolutely right. Anything else? Difficulty with work. Difficulty with work. The thorns and the thistles. Yeah, absolutely. And pain in childbirth. And I don't think that's just labor. I mean, I think ha- you know, raising children, there is pain in that. Um, so Somebody said death. And I think the other thing about the, the, the way they say it, your butt dust and you're going to become dust again. Yeah. Dust yeah. It really is very literal. Yeah. So all these things, when sin entered our world, it affects and it infects everything. And that really is our children's biggest problem. And it's our biggest problem, is that we are sinners. And I think it's important to understand sin is not what we do. Sin is really who we are. Um, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Um, we've inherited our sinful nature from Adam. And it's in our DNA. It's who we are. It's what, what, everybody in here have, has had a two-year-old? Yeah. What is it that makes a two-year-old a tiny, you know, 30 pounds or less? put their hands on their hips, look up at their dad who towers over them and says no with a defiance. Where does that come from? We don't teach them that. Who teaches a child to grab a toy from another child and say mine? We don't teach. I mean, we teach them to share. We, 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 are, we try to get that out of them. That is who we are. We, it is no, and it is mine, 
And that is, we want to be like God. We want to be in control. We want to set the rules. Even as young as 18 months, that is in us. Um, The scripture says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We are all sinners. Um, And we are all like Adam. We are all naked. We are all guilty. We are all helpless. And we are all lost. And if you look at the passage, God calls to the man and he asks him a question. What's the question God, the first question God asked Adam? Where are you? Now, God knows everything. So God knows where they are. So why do you think God's asking this question? Yeah, for Adam's sake. He's trying to make Adam think. Adam, where are you? And Adam has to think, you know, I used to have dominion in this garden and walk with ease and joy in the cool of the evening with the Lord. And now I am naked, hiding, and afraid. And I'm covering myself with fig leaves. Where are you really is a call to repentance. A call for Adam to realize how far he has actually fallen and what he has actually lost. Um, It helps rouse Adam and us to his peril, um, to startle him into a real realization of his plight. Um, Where are you is a call to come out of hiding and return to the Lord. And that's all kind of the bad news in this passage. But I don't want you to miss the glimmers of hope that are in here. Because there's another side to the question, where are you? Who comes after who? God comes after man. God is a pursuing God. It is not man who runs out of the hiding saying, Oh, Lord, it is God who comes after man saying, Where are you? That God comes after what is lost. And that is good news. And I don't know, has has anybody in here ever lost anything? And you know that feeling of trying to find it. Well, we have, we, there are two main things that I have lost, uh, two main examples that come to mind when I was thinking through this. One was a check that I lost. $86,000 check. $86,000 check. My husband still remembers. He, he gave me this check. We have a small little company. This is a really big deal. We had, he needed the check to be put in the bank so he could make payroll. And I was, I told him I could do it. It was a Friday. I was driving carpool. I had to get clothes in the laundry before baseball in the afternoon. Um, I had, it was garbage day, so I had to get the garbage out of the house. Like I had to get the kids' lunches made. I had to get all the kids in the car. We, I drove to five different houses to pick up kids, take them to the junior high, get back. I'm going to the bank. 
I don't have the check. I don't know where it is. And I have that feeling of, oh my gosh. And I drove back to the junior high and looking, you know, how you open the door, maybe it fell out. I retraced my steps all the way back to every house that I picked up, called my husband. Do you think they could reissue the check? And he looks at it, he just says, no. Hey, uh, uh, he a was. Yes, it was. Yes, it, we were. We didn't want them to know how small we actually were. <laughs> so I'm. I'm praying. I am so single-minded about finding this check. My hair could have been on fire, and I would not have noticed. I had to find this check. I literally drive up to my house. I see the garbage truck come, the recycle truck coming towards me. I jump out and on top of the recycle bo- um, box is the check. <laughs> it was, thank you, Lord. And I ran to the bank. But that, that whole time I was looking for the check, I could think of nothing else. The second story is we were at Disney World. And our youngest child wandered off following one of the characters. And there was a five-minute period where we did not know where she was. And if you're going to lose a child, Disney World is the best place to lose it because they're all over it. But that feeling of where is my child? Just, I mean, I think as parents, we all have that. And God is a God who comes after what is lost. And Jesus underlined this. He told three parables about losing something. Remember what they were? Lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son. He tells three parables in Luke about the, the, the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep. And God is a God who runs off the porch to greet the son that he has lost, that has returned. God is the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the lost sheep. And God is the woman who turns her house upside down looking for the coin. Our God is a God who won't leave what is lost, lost. But he comes after us. And it's in his love and his grace that we really find rest for our soul, for our, for our souls and manna for our hungry hearts. So that is, that is one glimmer of, of hope that's in this passage that God comes after man. And there's also two more things that I want to speak to. Just as he was about to send them out of the garden, he makes a promise, and it's inside the curse to the serpent. He promises that the seed of a woman would crush the seed of the serpent. And this whisper of a promise that's back in Genesis 3 is a promise that gets amplified throughout the Old Testament that God is going to come and and right what has gone wrong, that he is going to crush the, the, the head of evil. 
And I didn't have time to chase it down, but there's a great Caravaggio painting of Christ coming out of the grave and his foot is on the head of a serpent. And it is, and you see that a lot in Renaissance art, this picture of, of Jesus crushing the head of the snake. And very much, you know, telling us that Jesus, God is, is, is in a, the whole Old Testament is a time of preparation of God's rescue mission. And he's putting all the pieces in place so that when the time had fully come, that, that God would send forth his son, who would be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us and to, and to let us be adopted as sons. And so you've got this whole rescue plan. The, really, the whole history of, the, of Israel, the whole Bible is the story of God coming after to rescue what has been lost. And you hear the whisper of the promise in Genesis 15. I mean, Genesis 3.15. That God will, that the seed of a woman somehow is going to crush the head of the serpent. Um, questions on that? Yeah. I will sometimes look at a child, do something wrong, and say, "What are you doing? What are you thinking?" <laughs> yeah. And and then I guess my question is, in the beginning of this, you know, he says, "You know, uh, for that day that you eat it, you will surely die." And does he show them some form of grace? Would you say in in them not dying, and when he gives them all these other pains and all this other stuff? Yeah, I'm. Death, or do you think dying that? You know, at a higher level, not literally. Done. I think there are a couple of things going on. Did everybody hear Stratton's question? Um, you know, he says, "You will surely die," and you know, they they eventually die. I think Mo, Adam lives some 900 years, but he eventually dies. Um, but they've certainly there's been a spiritual death that's that's experienced when they walk out. Um, but yeah, I think there's I think there is there is grace shown. In the question God asks, the where are you because God comes after them. I think there's grace shown that no, that you have done this and now that you are lost, that there's a plan in place where I am starting to come after you. And you see that in this um, promise that the seed of a woman will crush the head of the serpent and undo what has just happened. But it, I mean, that plan takes thousands of years to actually to see it all unfold and then the last thing is Jane, are you through with that answer? I was going on to another point but you yeah, want to I interject know, I, mean, there, but there, yeah. there, there, I would weigh in that there's there is a relational death that's going on here um, and if you go to the end of, the, of, a, of a three chapter three it says God drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of, of life. So there's this relational death where prior to this, they were they were God's people in God's place, enjoying his provision for them forever. So it was relationally to be forever unbroken, and it was physically to live forever. And so what happens here is there's a death of the relationship, okay, 
as it was in its in its, uh, in, its, in, its in God's original construct, and then there's a physical death that will occur that wasn't supposed to be as well. It'll get righted at the mm -hmm. end. That's the good news at the end of the story. But for right now, it's that kind of death. And then the last thing um, is Adam and Eve don't leave wearing fig leaves. What do they leave wearing? Yeah, clothing. God clothes them, and he clothes them with animal skins. And what has to happen for them to be able to go out wearing animal skins? What? Yeah. The, the an animal, an innocent animal has to be killed to provide them cover. And that really points forward to the sacrificial system that's instituted in the, within the people of Israel that, you know, an, an innocent animal is killed in their stead for their atonement of their sins. But I think it also more importantly points forward to Jesus and his death on the cross. And it is his blood that covers us and really becomes, in some way, our robe of righteousness. And you think about the Passover when they covered the doorpost with blood. And that allowed the angel of death to pass over. We are in that same, I mean, that point, again, that points forward to Jesus' blood covering us and giving us atonement. Does that make sense? Kristen. I just think it's beautiful that in Revelation, when we re-enter the garden, we do so clothed by God, but given white robes yeah. um, that, like you said, came at the cost of his son. So they, Adam and Eve, leave clothed by God, and we re-enter clothed by God. That's a great point. Did everybody hear what Kristen said? No. Thank you. Holly? I also just keep thinking of kind of what you were saying, Scott, and, and um, what you brought up. That I was, I've been amazed seeing my kids grow up and seeing sort of the repetition of the gospel story and the gospel truths about us in little children. And my daughters have done things that just, you know, make no sense. And they regret, <laughs> and they're sobbing. And I'm like, why would you do this? And it's so funny to me because usually my kids will sort of stop for a second and say. I don't know. No. Yeah. Like, that is Roman 7. Yeah. Like, that is, you know, we do what we know we should not do. And that, like, you understand even inherently that, like, there is this separation between who you want to be and who you should be and yeah. who you are. And so being able to, like, be reminded of that and the sort of rawness that we all have that we kind of learn to cover up a little better with a, a little more effective fig leaves. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that we all are ultimately just unable to do these things yeah. are inherently sinful. Yeah. It's been amazing to me and humbling. Well, it is. And it's. I think it's good for us as parents to remember this, that like we do the things that we wish we wouldn't do, our children do too. And it gives us real compassion for them. Um, I have w one real quick story. Oh, Francis. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I thought you said one more. Are you sure? One more comment. No, I was going to say this was this was after we were we took a trip of a lifetime and went to Italy with three other couples, dear dear friends, and we had a fun night of wine tasting, and then we had a fabulous meal, and we were laughing, we were having a great time, and for dessert when we had a great meal, dessert was blueberry creme brulee, 
and I love blueberries and I love creme brulee. So I was in hog heaven and I was just slurping it up, doing everything but licking my bowl. I look across the table at a very dear friend and she is enjoying her creme brulee too. And she's laughing and smiling. And all of a sudden I crack up laughing and I cover my mouth. I'm looking at my friend and her teeth are blue from the blueberries and the creme brulee. And I know if her teeth are blue, my teeth are more blue. So I'm going to keep them covered. And it, that has been a great mental picture for me for when I see sin in someone else, I know that I am stained by that same fruit and that it gives me a compassion and an understanding um, for whoever I'm with. It's my husband, my children, grandchildren, friends, somebody you work with. You really do when you understand this. And I really wish when I was a child, someone had taken me aside and said, let me under, let me explain something to you. That you have a real sense of insecurity and um, unease within you. And you try to mask it in all sorts of ways. Let me tell you what, why you have that. And let me tell you something else. Everybody else, no matter how well put together they seem, they have it too. And that would have made me so much better understand myself and understand the world around me. And then they would have near, very quickly had to have come along with the good news of God's pursuit of me and the way that God covers my sins. And that is a real opportunity for y'all as parents to really come alongside your kids, read the Bible with them. Um, find things in the news that you can hook into to bring the gospel into your table conversation. And there are plenty of them. Yeah. Um, just keep, pray for teachable moments. I've done this with my grandchildren. It's amazing how a teachable moment will present itself if I'm looking for it. But it's really, it's very important for us as parents to intentionally walk alongside our kids and help them understand who they are in Christ. And that will give them such a foundation to weather the storms that come at them at the junior high and the high school and beyond. So, um, Fran, did you have something you wanted to say? <laughs> Any other comments or questions? All right. Don, could you close us in prayer? Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that you did not leave us alone to come up with our own understanding of uh, what it is that ails us and our children uh, and what the answer is, Lord God. You have given us your scripture. You have given us your Holy Spirit to convict us and to teach us, Lord God. You have given us this church and so many other people, Lord, to explain and to encourage and to lift us up. Now, Lord God, we ask this. We ask that you know we love you, Lord, and you know that we love the children that uh, you have given us stewardship over their lives for just a brief time. And we pray that you would give us eyes to look towards you and eyes, Lord God, uh, to look towards them. And as we do that, that we would draw upon your goodness, your mercy, your loving kindness. We would draw upon the words that you have given us in your scripture. And we would draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit that you have left us with so that we might build into them 
a desire to know you and a desire to love you. And we know if this happens, it's because of nothing that we have done except for to love you, Lord God, and to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.